Hello, good evening, and welcome to the latest edition of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, I'm not your usual host, Dan, uh, as you probably already can tell. Um, Dan's unfortunately able to uh, to make it this week. He's busy uh, moving house, among other things as well. So he's uh, uh, kindly asked us to to carry on the baton. So I'm I'm trying to step into his shoes tonight. Um, so I'm I'm Khan, one of your your regular guests, who hopefully. You'll recognise, um, and with me as usual, um, I've got Paul. Uh, how how are you, Paul? Yeah, not bad, Con. I think we can probably let Dan off for moving house. Uh, when I spoke to him earlier. I think his his recording devices were somewhat lost in the boxes, which uh, I imagine a lot of people who've moved house in the past will recognise. Indeed, indeed. Um, so, yeah, we will uh, we'll crack on uh, into the agenda. Um, I think. Uh, as we're on the 31st of August, it's a good time to look at, uh, and we're going into the international break, um, it's a good time just to sort of look at, you know, who's had a, a sort of decent start, um, you know, in, in the first three fixtures we've had so far across the Premier League and, and who's maybe perhaps not so happy and, and looking to do some business um, today to maybe address some areas of, of concern. I think, you know, this, this sort of timing of this international break, which is always a bit controversial in itself, does just act as that initial sort of breakwater before you go into the the season proper. Um, so, yeah, based on that, I mean, who who's who do you think sort of happy with the start they've made and, and who do you think might be sort of a little bit worried, Paul? Who, who would you sort of call out? So I, I think in terms of let's start with the positives, I think obviously Spurs will be delighted to to be three from three and sitting top of the league. Um, they uh, look to me, I think it's three clean sheets as well, isn't it? They look to me like a uh, a good Nuno Wolves team. Um, <laughs> you know, if you think those first couple of seasons when Nuno brought Wolves up into the Premier League, they didn't score bundles and bundles of goals, but they were really well organised had a really clear shape about them and, um, you know, and, and were winning games 1-0 quite frequently and, and Spurs have, have not been the most free scoring so far. They've not sort of blown anybody away, but they've they've had three impressive wins, um, three clean sheets. They sit there nine points from nine. Uh, they'll be absolutely delighted with that, especially when you consider the hurricane stuff was going on in the background. That had a real opportunity, potential to, you know, um, unsettle them at the start of the season. But they've they've got through that period. They now know Harry Kane's going to stay. He's going to be part of the squad. Uh, they can get him back in there with with Son, who's been you know I, I think Son's such a brilliant player and he's been outstanding to start the season. Um, and really critical for Spurs, and they sit there top of the league. So so they'll be the first one to pick out. Uh, I wasn't sure about what kind of season Spurs would have, but I've been impressed with what I've seen through three games. Um, there's definitely a shape to them. Yeah, I mean it's it's three it's three one nils, isn't it? To, yeah. To your point, um, so yeah, it's kind of ste- steady, but equally, you know, they'll be delighted with the fact that they've made such a a stable start, given the 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 instability off the pitch ever since basically the sack Mourinho. Um, you know, let's not forget, obviously, there was the whole farcical saga of them trying to appoint a manager. Um, yeah. You know, Nuno was about yeah. what, forty seventh choice or whatever, and well, yet they've, they've. I think wasn't he reported at the time that Nuno was not on the shortlist. Yeah. And they basically went all the way through the shortlist yeah. and, and yeah. got nowhere and, and ended up with Nuno. Now, it, his record at Wolves tells you he's clearly capable in this league and, and they should say so far, so good. Yeah. And I think just your point around the goals, obviously, you've already mentioned about Harry Kane. Now that he is staying, you know, let's face it, he'll be he'll knuckle down and um, the goals will come, I'm sure, once he's uh, back and starting in the team. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we know that that Son and Kane connection together, um, can be pretty lethal. It'll be interesting, I think, to see uh, exactly how Spurs set up long term because you know Kane played on 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 Sunday and played centre forward with I think uh, Bergvine and and Son just off him. Is that going to be the long term setup? Um, Nuno was more of a three at the back guy at Wolves, but but maybe he's he's going to stick with that back four at Spurs. Um, I always think Spurs are at the best when. Son and Kane are playing really close together as a two. I think if you end up with Son playing stuck out on the flank and, and Harry Kane central, I think they can get a bit isolated and a bit disjointed. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch. But, but yeah, they'll be delighted with the start they've had. And the other one, I, I think 
Chelsea will be absolutely over the moon as well because when the fixture list came out and we'll, we'll get on to Arsenal and they've clearly not had the start they would have wanted but Chelsea would have looked at that fixture list and said okay Arsenal away and Liverpool away in the first three games that's not the easy start on paper um, they would obviously want to keep the momentum from the Champions League win at the end of last season going so to to have got through those two games with four points, having survived the whole second half with 10 men on, on Saturday evening um, and picked up a good point at Anfield, I think Chelsea will be over the moon with the way they've started as well. Yeah, so, yeah. And, um, and, and, and I do think, and we haven't got Dan on, so we, we, won't, we won't talk about Liverpool games too much, <laughs> but uh, without giving him a chance to give his view, because I know he was at the game, wasn't he? But I, I, I think, I mean, they looked completely in control until that incident at half-time, and I think they probably would have very likely gone on to win it. Um, it, it seemed like a really assured, like, this is how you play away at Anfield-type performance. Um, yeah. I think Tuchel got it absolutely spot on. Obviously, it was in the end a, a freak incident that, that, that up, you know, sort of uh, upended the plans. Um, but it looked like he knew exactly how to set them up um, to get a result at, at Anfield. And I, I think they, they very possibly would have done um, if it weren't for going a man down for the second half. So, yeah, I think I think you're right. They, they do look strong and they, they do seem to have, you know, carried on that momentum. Um, so I don't think Tuchel will be going the way of Roberto Di Matteo after winning the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. You never know. No, indeed. Indeed. You, you never know. And But, but I think you're right. that the, 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 There seems a real confidence and surety to the way they're playing at the moment, doesn't there? Um, yeah. It looks to me as though everyone in that Chelsea team is absolutely bought in. They know what the job is. They know what's expected of them. Um, they're all, you know, playing the, the, the same the same tune, if you like, and, and I think they'll be very, very happy uh, with where they are. I think uh, another team who I'd throw into the mix, and they got beat on, on uh, Saturday, and, and that's sort of their unbeaten run. But I think Brighton will be looking at that start and saying, OK, we don't measure ourselves against Everton. We measure ourselves against the Burnleys and the Watfords. They've played two of those games and won both of them. And I think if you're sitting there in Graham Potter's shoes, you're thinking that's six points, but it's also six of the points that I really needed Yeah. Um, against those teams who are likely to be in that bottom six or seven with them at the end of the season. So Brighton would be the third one that I'd throw in the mix as having been you know, really pleased with, with where they sit. We talked a little bit about West Ham as well last week. I think they probably go into that category as well. Although... Speaking to a few West Ham fans who were at the game on Saturday, they were a little bit disappointed Saturday after the the high of mm. beating Leicester. Yeah. They didn't play a little bit better. Um, and uh, maybe that just sort of sends them into the international break. Not quite on the high they might have been if they if they followed that Leicester win up with uh, another three points. Yeah, I, I thought they'd have been three from three, if I'm honest, before, uh, partly because it's it's Palace, but um, uh, yeah, so I was surprised. But again, it's still a good start for them. I think the, the only other one, perhaps while we, and then we can close out the positives, is I just mentioned Everton, you know, the team that beat Brighton. Um, I think they're, unde- you know, undefeated, two wins and a draw. You know, we know that Rafa does bring that stability and the ability to just get results. Um, I still wasn't sure what to expect from them, but I, I can't imagine there's going to be many Evertonians complaining about, you know, sixth place um, as going into the break. I think I think they've had a good start. Yeah, they have. And, and interestingly with Everton, you know, the the question of really the balance of the squad, I think, was was the one that going into last season, I, I wasn't sure. And, and again, going into this season, I do think Rafa, while the players he signed, you know, Andros Townsend and Damari Gray aren't necessarily signings that, you're going to jump off your seat and shout about. But I do think they bring a bit more balance to the squad. I think the squad did lack kind of genuine wide players. Um, and and obviously, Gray got the first goal at the weekend and, and seems to have settled in really well. So, uh, yeah, I think Rafa will be pretty satisfied with where they sit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, come on then, who's uh, who's getting the uh, the D minus then? Who, who, who do you think's uh, not looking so clever? And, and... Well, I think Arsenal will probably get an F rather than a D minus. <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure if we were uh, just going to skip them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, we talked about it last week. There isn't a huge amount to add. The, the, the sort of style of the defeat on Saturday was shocking, and I think the team selection was the most bizarre team that, that Arteta selected since he's been Arsenal manager, I would say. It was an Emery-esque 
bizarre 11 to you know they were trying to give Kalasinic away for for free three weeks ago and suddenly starting at left side he'd sent a half in a back three away at Man City it was very very odd yeah. um apparently had a half decent game in midweek which I didn't see against West Brom's under 11s but I'm not sure that really prepares you for playing no. um at the Etihad against <laughs> the best team in the country so um yeah. you know I disastrous performance. Xhaka got himself sent off stupidly because he was frustrated. I mean, who knew that that's a thing that Xhaka <laughs> does? Uh, I think it's 10 red cards since Arteta became Arsenal manager. And wow. that's the most in the league by four wow. in that period. Now, that not just for Xhaka, I should say. That's for the whole squad. Um, but 10 red cards in, in what, 18 months of a, of a manager's reign. I mean, I know Wenger had a lot of red cards at the start, but he was also winning a lot of football matches. Yeah, I was going to so say he did win the league. You kind of get away with it a bit more. Um, yeah. But I, I think, you know, I don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about Arsenal because we did them in depth last week. The, the, the three games after the international break, as they were before the Man City game, are absolutely pivotal. And if Arteta doesn't win at least two of them, I don't think he'll be the Arsenal manager by the next international break. Mm. And I, I maintain that. Um the other teams, I think, you'd be, you'd be worried if you're a Norwich fan. And the reason you'd be worried if you're a Norwich fan is I, I don't think they look any different than they did last time they were up. Yeah. Now, again, they've had a hard start. They've played, what, Liverpool and Man City and Leicester. So they're three pretty good teams. I think everyone would have had those three in their top six at the start of the season. But it just looks like the same Norwich that we saw two seasons ago. Um, and I just don't. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to turn that around. Uh, I think they're already in for a long, hard season, to be honest. I, I, I just don't see a way for them to find a way out of it. And the other one that, I, that I'd throw in the mix uh, as, as kind of having had a worrying start would be Burnley. And, and it's kind of the inverse of the Brighton situation, really. It's not just the results Burnley have got. It's who they've got them against. Okay, they lost 2-0 at Anfield. And I actually think they played, certainly in the first half of that game, they played pretty well and they were a little bit unlucky. Um, Liverpool took over the second half, but Burnley were well in the game in the first half. That's a free hit for Burnley. They're not judging themselves against Liverpool. They've played two home games against Brighton, who are a team are going to be in and around them in that bottom seven or eight, you'd have thought, and Leeds, who are a... Probably a, a tier above Burnley. They're in that mid-table bracket. But it's a home game against a team in that mid-table bracket where Burnley would be looking and thinking that's a chance to win the game. And they conceded very late, didn't they? It was last sort of five or six minutes, I think, when uh, when Leeds scored. Um, and, and I... <laughs> You know, we know we all know what Burnley's target is. It's to get to 37, 38, 39 points. Um, but I think they'd have been looking at those first two home games, Brighton and Leeds, and thinking if we can get four there, we're off to a good start. And to only get one, um, you know, it, it's two of the games that you'd look at for Burnley and say they've got a chance of results in. And that isn't every single week for Burnley, not being disrespectful to them, but not every single game for Burnley is a chance to get points. Um, and so they've kind of not maximised those first couple of opportunities. And and again, they've they've not been the busiest in the transfer market. I know we're going to come on to the transfer window, but it seems, well, certainly the two seasons we've been doing this podcast, we've had the same conversation come the 31st of August both times, which is, how many more years can you keep expecting Sean Dyche to perform miracles when you're not strengthening the squad? And uh, yeah, I think I think you'd be nervous if you're a Burnley fan. Yeah, this is it. They're a strange one. I I still I still wouldn't back them to go down though. You know, that's the thing. Despite all the reasons why they, they probably should or will one year, I, I just it's one of those things because they had a disastrous start. <laughs> yeah, last season, you know, it was them and uh, Sheffield United took them a while to to, to get a, a result. Obviously, Sheffield United took a, a very long time, but Burnley <laughs> had an absolute nightmare. Um, and yeah. yet, by the end of by April, they, they you know they looked comfortable. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I I think everything you've said is right, and yet somehow I still think they'll they'll be okay. 
Um, I think the one I was going to mention is a team sitting just above them who they've played in Leeds, um, who I think if you'd said to Leeds fans, they'd be sitting just above Burnley in the table <laughs> and not having won yet <laughs> after three games. They'd probably be not too happy about that, um, I think. Yeah, and, and interestingly for Leeds, Con, I think it's a, it's a good one to throw into the conversation. Like, they're always going to let goals in because of the way they play. Mm. They haven't actually looked like scoring that many so yeah. far. And I think that would be the worry for them because last year early on yes they were um they were letting goals in but they always looked like a threat yeah, to they score, were free scoring they? yeah 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 i mean i think bamford scored this weekend he didn't did, he? Yeah, so yeah, i think he did, you think right, maybe yeah. he just needs that to kick on because he he'll get yeah. them goals you know we've saw we've seen that last season and they've they obviously have now signed um dan james as well haven't they today to maybe give yeah. them a bit of energy um sort of going forward so and you a know, bit of width yeah 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 so i think I, just coming back to burnley very quickly i you, you look at their run after the international break. They play away at Everton. They play Arsenal at home. They may well be looking at that and thinking it's an opportunity the way Arsenal are playing. But they play away at Everton, at home to Arsenal, away at Leicester, huge game at home to Norwich, and then away at Man City in this not like next run of fixtures. I think the Man City game's after the next international break. But but that run there, Everton, Arsenal, Leicester, Norwich, um, if they come out of that and they're still without a win let's say i think you'd really start to worry if you were a burnley fan yeah 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 that's a tough run for sure <laughs> um yeah fair enough well who who else i mean what would you think about palace then i mean we were worried about them at the start it, it doesn't feel like it's been quite as disastrous as maybe we thought it was but what what, what are your views on them yeah, I, as I say, I, I don't think a lot of people expected them to get a result at West Ham at the, um, at the weekend. They did. Conor Gallagher got two goals. He's a good player, Conor Gallagher. For people who haven't seen a lot of him, um, there's a real footballer in there uh, on loan from Chelsea um, for the season at, at Crystal Palace. Um, he, he was on loan last year in the Premier League at West Brom, but again, probably didn't quite show his best form. The year before that, when he was on loan the second half of that, that season at Swansea, he was the reason Swansea got into the playoffs in the second half of the year. He was absolutely fantastic. Um, he plays as a kind of advanced midfielder, come number 10, second striker, whatever phrase you want to you want to give to it. Um, the fact that he's hit the ground running, I think, is a real positive for Crystal Palace. I also think, and again, we're going to come on to transfers. I think the business they've done today in the market is pretty, pretty clever, to be honest. I think it's a good signing. Um, can they stabilise defensively? Uh, that'd be the question, giving away too many chances. But, um, yeah, I, I think they haven't looked like a complete disaster zone, have they? And there yeah. was a bit of a suspicion, nervousness around how Vieira would take to it and they, they were a bit of an embarrassment that first half at Chelsea on the opening day just looked so disjointed but they seem to have stabilised a little bit um, Yeah, and yeah. they'll hope now that they can kick on after the break Yeah, this is it, I think maybe uh, sometimes having those kind of games early is good because then you can almost see where the flaws are and then work on it on the training ground perhaps so it was a bit of a baptism of fire but yeah, they do seem to have stabilised a bit and you know, with some smart business in the window, you know, they, they might be all right. Again, they'll probably, I mean, they're in 14th now. They'll probably be looking to finish around there, if I'm honest. But if they did, they're up for another year. Um, you know, they'll... To they'll be probably... honest, I think I think given the, given how much of a sea change year this is for Crystal Palace, and we yeah. talked about it to the end of last season, Hodgson going, a lot of those older sort of stalwart players that Hodgson had relied on leaving on free transfers. If you said to... Crystal Palace now, you're going to finish one place above the relegation zone, but by the end of the season, you will start to see a new identity and a new style of football and a younger team emerge. Would you take that? I think the Crystal Palace board would. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not saying that that's definitely going to happen because they still haven't won a game. Let's not get carried away. And, and they could go on a horrible run after the break. But if you were to say to Crystal Palace that's going to be your season where you kind of bob along and just about keep your head above water. But actually some, some of those young players start to make an impact. I, I think that's what they're aiming for. Yeah. Then of course, he's a question of young player like Conor Gallagher. If he has a great season for Crystal Palace, do Chelsea take him back? Does he get picked up by a, you know, a club in between Chelsea and Palace in the pecking order? But I, I think it's certainly a positive for them that he's hit the ground running. Yeah. 
Well, just look in the, they play Spurs and Liverpool next. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Think not yeah, being. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, you, you look at another scenario there where um, Palace could, by the next international break, be mired in the bottom three and we could mm. be saying Vieira's got to go. So, yeah, it, it yeah. is very early. Three games is, uh, you know, not much to make a judgment on. But I think because we maybe started with very low expectations for what Crystal Palace were going to be, just the fact that they haven't quite looked that disastrous is is probably something to be positive about. Yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah, let's judge them on the games they have played and not the ones they haven't, I suppose. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and then maybe just the, the, the last one, perhaps before we move on, is Wolves, um, who... You know, they had a funny season last year. They didn't look their usual self. I think it looked a bit... We talked about... We had a guest on, didn't we, at one point, and yeah. talked about how it was just going a bit static there, and obviously they've, they've, they've changed their managers as, as, they're, as they're prone to do, but after a very stable spell under under Nuno, who's, as we've talked about, is you know, currently doing a great job at Spurs, but they're in the relegation zone. They haven't won, um, you know, zero points. It's, it's, it's not a good start. No, it's not. And I think the first couple of results would would have been a worry for them, um, and, and performances would have been a worry for them. Uh, I thought they were a bit sort of all, you know, not really kind of at it on the opening day at, at Leicester. All beat, they only got beat one nil. They then got beat one nil against Spurs in another game that was just a bit, it was just a bit insipid. They didn't really make much happen. I think on the flip side of that, they they gave a really good account of themselves against. United on Sunday and were, and were unfortunate to lose the game. Um, I think it probably was a foul for the uh, in the build-up to the United goal. I think if you're a Manchester United fan, Con, and I don't know if we've got any on this podcast, but I think if you're a Manchester United fan, you might say, well, you know, what goes round comes round because the Southampton goal the week before was a foul and, and, and that wasn't given. And, they, you know, so the, the old adage about these things evening themselves out, um, might apply, but Wolves played really well in that game. I think it, it's so big for Wolves to see Adama Traore look back to something like his best because his form disappeared last year and he's such a difficult player for opponents to, to mark, to deal with. You know, he's got that pace and that power that when he runs at you, there's not many players in the Premier League who can, who can keep up with him, uh, certainly defensively. So I think while they'll be disappointed three games, three defeats in their allegation zone. If I was the, the Wolves manager, I'd be looking at that performance on Sunday and saying to my players, look, we are not far away. If we put that on the pitch, you know, in the next 35 games, we'll be more than okay. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I think what Wolves, one of those teams, they, they always give United a good game. Wolves and Southampton, actually, we played the week before. They always give us a good game. I don't I, we don't think we ever have any easy games against them. They're just two of those sides, those sort of mid-table teams that just seem to have a knack of uh, getting under our skin a bit. But uh, yeah, there you go. But no, I think, again, I think they will be all right. Obviously, I don't I don't know loads about their, you know, their new manager. So it's hard to say, you know, oh, based on what he did with this club, he'll be yeah. okay. Or whatever. It's a bit tricky. To, they're a bit of an unknown quantity in that sense. In a way, a bit like, obviously, you know, Vieira with Palace that we've just been talking about. So it's hard to tell... You know, is he a safe pair of hands or is he going to flounder? We'll, we'll have to see. Um, I know about as much about him as I knew when he was appointed, which is that he's the Wolves manager, so he's Portuguese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, all right. Is there anyone else you wanted to call out, Paul, or before? We no, I think, I, think, I think we've kind of covered a decent chunk of the league there and, and sort of the way they've started. And it is very early and people might be listening going, why are you getting carried away by three games? But I think, I think the timing of this first break after those three fixtures always makes it a bit like, it's almost like an extension of preseason in the season where everyone's sort of still feeling themselves out, working out what they still need in the squad. It comes before the deadline, uh, you know, the window closes. And I always think it's an interesting kind of staging point for teams to, to take stock of where they are. And, and, and it's no different this year. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. Um, all right, then. Well, look, we'll leave the report cards um, to one side and we'll jump on to our... Our next topic. Uh, now, I will probably introduce this a bit differently to how Dan would have done, and I'm not <laughs> uh, given our allegiances. Um, so it's a shame we don't have him, but maybe we'll uh, we'll get his two pence on it when uh, perhaps when he joins us, hopefully next week. But um, a certain 
footballer uh, has returned to the Premier League uh, for Manchester United, a certain Cristiano Ronaldo, um, who is known for scoring a goal or two in the last 15 years or so. Um, before I jump in and start getting giddy, do you want to give a slightly more measured assessment of <laughs> how you found the, the sort of the transfer? What do you think it will make any difference to anything in terms of the title? And yeah, what are your thoughts on it generally? Uh, so, I mean, so many thoughts really on what was a pretty incredible 24 hours um, at the end of last week in, when it comes to Ronaldo. So when when Manchester City didn't get Harry Kane, I immediately thought Cristiano Ronaldo makes a huge amount of sense in Manchester City. I think he is at this stage of his career a number nine. He's a player who should only play the width of the penalty area, get the ball into him there, let the fact that he's still technically a brilliant finisher, let him do the business. Um, Manchester City have got a need for number nine. They've got a need for a centre-forward. We've all sort of recognised that. That's why they were in for Kane. It doesn't look like they're going to sign one. It looks like they're going to play Ferran Torres through the middle. So from that perspective, I was kind of completely on board with the idea that Ronaldo to City made a lot of sense, except for the fact that he's a Manchester United legend. Um, And, you know, would that affect the decision to go to Manchester City? Would it affect the way Manchester City fans thought about him if he signed? Um, And, you know, how would that settle itself down? And then suddenly from nowhere, Manchester United appeared on the scene um, wanting to buy him. And it seems as though Manchester United are not even particularly hiding the fact that part of the... um, push to get this deal done was they didn't want Cristiano Ronaldo, one of their all-time great players, to end up playing for Manchester City. Um, And just the the sheer thought of that was a driving force behind them pursuing the deal. That said, um, while you can make the argument, well, it's never a good idea just to sign someone so he doesn't sign for somebody else, you're not talking about any old footballer here. You're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo, who's still at whatever age he is, 36, um, scored well over 20 goals last season for Juventus and Serie A. Um, it's pretty much as close as you can get to a guarantee of a goal scorer as there is in world football, even now. Um, brings with him that fact that he's a Manchester United legend, brings with him into a dressing room that's not full of winners. He brings an absolute attitude of a champion, attitude of a winner. Um, and I think United need some of that in their dressing room. That that old Manchester United arrogance that they were going to win when they stepped on the pitch because they were better than everybody. That, you know, Roy Keane embodied and that Eric Cantona embodied. And even before that, even when they weren't winning everything, that sort of Brian Robson embodied. Hmm. Um, I, I think you get a little bit of that back with Cristiano Ronaldo. I think the interesting question... And it might link to, we've already touched on Dan James, but but the interesting question is what does it do for the dynamic of yeah. the forward options at Manchester United? Because they are not short of forward players, I well, think they, it's safe to say. Well, this is it. I mean, we spoke about that, I think, on the season opener. I think you were saying one of the reasons why, you know, you, you fancied them is, or, or, uh, is that, uh, you know, they had a wealth of attacking options. So it wasn't exactly an area we needed to go and sort of wasn't a problem we needed to solve because we'd already addressed it by retaining Cavani, signing Sancho and, and Greenwood's continued development. We've still got Rashford and Martial. Um, yeah. We did have James, obviously, now he's gone. So it wasn't an obvious area to do, uh, you know, to sort of do any business in further. But it is does just seem like it was one of those freak opportunities that presented itself. And, you know, you talk about how long some transfer sagas last. We talked about Harry Kane. This was this was done in about six hours. <laughs> it kind yeah. of shows when, when there's a will, there's a way to just get things done of quickly. Um, and, you know, I guess we'll never quite know the politics of you know, was the City thing just a way of smoking out United from his side or whatever, you know, who knows, right? There'll be a million mm. conspiracy theories from every fan forum in every corner of the internet, no doubt. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I can't say I'm not happy and excited to see him back. And you've called out some of the really great reasons there around, you know, is he someone that can just help us extend that sort of, you know, winning mentality and that sort of winning arrogance. Yeah. And I, I think the other angle as well with all those forward options is, you know, we used to win 
we used to win uh, titles and Champions Leagues with, you know, with four established strikers. If you think back to, you know, the Cole, Cole and York and Sheringham and Solskjaer, you know, no one complained then. Yeah. You know, they all they all got games. They all got goals, some famous goals, right? So mm. it's it's doable. I appreciate, you know, maybe the way teams set up now, they don't perhaps play with, you know, you know as many out-and-out strikers. And, you know, I get that. Um, but equally, you know, Cavani's no spring chicken, neither is Ronaldo. You'd think, you know, Cavani probably, he had injury problems last season. You know, he didn't play every game. Um, he's now a year older than he was last year, so he probably isn't going to play, you know, more games this season. Um, so we don't necessarily have to worry about him I too wonder much. If, and he was very effective off the bench, Cavani, as well. He, he was. And I wonder if that's one of the differences, though, between Cavani and Ronaldo. That I think Cavani came to Manchester United recognising what he was at the, at the stage of his career, recognising that he was going to play some games and have other games where he made an impact off, off the substitutes bench. Yeah. And that was going to be the role that he was brought in to fill, to be an experienced option as a leader of the line, which United didn't really have because Rashford's not that, and Marshall's not that, and I don't think Greenwood's that at this stage in his career, although yeah. I think he probably is the one of the three who can develop into that type of player. Um, you know, Cavani knew that that's what he was coming in to, to bring. I think the slight worry when you talk about rotating those options with Cristiano Ronaldo is, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a strong enough character to tell Cristiano Ronaldo he's not playing? Yeah. yeah. Because Cristiano Ronaldo isn't going to want to be rested and rotated. Sure, he'll be happy to sit out League Cup games and FA Cup games even potentially, but Cristiano Ronaldo is not going to be wanting to sit and watch Premier League football from the bench because he's Cristiano Ronaldo and he hasn't come to Manchester United to be an impact sub. Yeah, he yeah. still thinks he is good enough. And it, look, as I said before, his, his goal record suggests he's right, that he's still good enough to play at that level week in, week out. Now, Premier League's not Serie A and the, and the fans back in the crowds has raised the tempo of our games again, thank heavens, because it looked like Serie A at times last year. <laughs> um, you, you know, Will there be times when he might just be willing to say to, to Ole, OK, fair enough, I think I do need a break just for a game or so to, 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 to like let myself, my body recover? But that's going to be the challenge. How does Ole manage having this global superstar, one of the top five or six players of the last 30, 40 years, certainly, in the squad at 36, demanding to play, when you've got to juggle those talented youngsters, Jaden Sancho, he's paid nearly £100 million for, um, you know, Martial, Rashford, uh, Greenwood, who at the moment looks United's most likely goal scorer, uh, Cavani, who we've already touched on. It, it's a fascinating question. Yeah. And it'll be really fascinating to see. But if they can get the balance right, Cristiano Ronaldo can score the goals to win Man United in the Premier League. I've got absolutely no doubt about that. Well, I certainly hope you're right. <laughs> I think just to touch on uh, on on Greenwood is the one you worry about. I think in terms of 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 opportunities and game time, he's the he's the one you think in terms of how we're playing at the moment. And I know we're play, you know, he's getting so much game time because Cavani and and Rashford haven't been available. You know, Martial sort of had a couple of a uh, couple of runouts, but um, yeah, Greenwood's the one you maybe worry for and think to do his. You know, because he's he's hit the ground running this season superbly. Um, we saw the second half last season, you know, because he had a, again, he had a funny start last season. If you remember, there was the trouble in the England camp and there was all sorts of stories swirling around about, you know, off the pitch distractions and all that. But then he came back after Christmas and, you know, had a, had a green day and was very unlucky to miss out on the Euros. Um, but well, he picked up an injury, didn't he? Withdrew from the yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. So he, yeah. So he, you know, and we'll, we'll you know, obviously won't know what, what impact he would have had if he'd been there, but he's, he's sort of kicked on and really hit the ground running this season. So it's, it would be certainly, you know, as, as a United fan looking to the future, you sort of think, yeah. well, they're the players you need to be nurturing. And if they're in form, don't just drop them because you've signed a superstar kind of thing. But it then does become that, that headache of how do you keep them all happy and give them the right opportunities. I guess the, the easier thing with Greenwood is, you know, he can't necessarily complain if he has been picked for League Cup and FA Cup. So he can get games that way. But, you know, equally, if he is scoring in the Premier League and he knows he's good enough at that level, then he'll, he'll be wanting to test himself week in, week out against... Yeah, and, and I think Greenwood's the one who... I don't love Greenwood as much from the flank. I think Greenwood is better centrally. Mm, um, yeah. Whereas, I think Martial, it doesn't really matter. 
Um, I think Martial is one of them players who frustrates the hell out of me because if he really applied himself, yeah, yeah, the yeah, kid's yeah. got so much ability. I don't, th- I don't think he does really apply himself. Um, I think he likes being a professional footballer. I think he's good at it. I don't think he's got that internal drive that certainly someone like Ronaldo had when he was uh, in the younger years of his career to be great. I don't think that inter that burning that's inside you. I just don't think it's there in Martial. Um, and, and Rashford, I think, is better coming in off the flank. That is where he gets most of his goals, making that run between centre half and fullback. Um, but I think Rashford, is, uh, sorry, Greenwood is the one where you would say, well, he really wants to play centrally. Um, and and how easy is that if you've got if you've got Ronaldo in that space um, remains to be seen. But you know. Cristiano Ronaldo comes and scores twenty-five goals, and Man United win the Premier League. I think they might, they might, they, <laughs> they might, might be willing survive. to put yeah. off waiting one year to, to work out how they keep Mason Greenwood happy. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it's going to be a, a a thing to balance. But I think for the neutrals and um, those of us, and I count myself very much among it these days, who've got no interest in the Premier League title race at all uh, <laughs> from a rooting perspective, um, just to be able to. Uh, see the way that this season develops with, with, you know, we've talked about Chelsea, we've talked about Liverpool a little bit, Ronaldo going to United, and, and you know, Man City will be Man City, won't they? They'll bash Arsenal 5-0 five ti- uh, a couple of times a season. Um, it's going to be really, really fascinating, and Ronaldo just adds yet another great dynamic to it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and actually, as well, he, he might be sticking around for a bit, because I think it's a two-year deal with the option of a third um that he signed so it's not just a one season uh, wonder either no indeed and and, and again I, he, while he feels physically at it he will want to play and he will want to play at a high level but i just think that's who ronaldo is i i don't really get the sense cristiano ronaldo wants to go and wander around the pitch in america no i might be wrong it just doesn't feel like him um he wants to be still considered one of the top players in the world. And so while he's fit enough to do it, he's going to keep playing. If this season doesn't go great for him and he looks like he's a little bit off the pace of our league and it isn't Serie A, then I could see him sort of saying, OK, I've, I've done one year. I came in, it was great. It was a return. I'll walk away. But if, if Cristiano Ronaldo has a good season this season, he'll, he'll still be at Man United next season, I'm sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Cool. All right. Well, I think that's that's well well covered. Um, I think then let's have a look at. Given we mentioned it's the, uh, you know, it's the thirty first of uh, of August today. It is official transfer deadline day. Um, you know, we've we've given a bit of a summary of uh, you know who we think is is doing well and and needs needs improvements. That's not always reflected in the transfer market. Um, but um, yeah, so. W- what are your sort of picks, Paul, of the, of the sort of move, you know, the the latter day sort of movers and shakers over the last sort of 48 hours over the bank holiday weekend? Well, yeah, I, I think you've already alluded to, to Dan James, um, which I think is a uh, a good signing for Leeds. I mean, Leeds were about to sign him, weren't they? Uh, yeah. If anyone's watched, there's a Leeds documentary on Amazon. Um, and if anyone's watched, he, he's there, he's done all the paperwork, and then he's about to sign, and suddenly his agent gets this phone call, and it's like, oh, we, we might just need to come back and finish some stuff off tomorrow, knowing full well that they're never coming back because they then drive to Manchester and sign for Manchester United. Um, so this this deal has been on Leeds' mind for a couple of years. Uh, I think it's a good, good deal for the, for the club. I think it's a good deal for the player. Dan James is at the point now where he needs to play. Hasn't quite worked out for him at Manchester United for whatever reason. Maybe didn't ever quite feel like he was given the full opportunity and, and had the faith of the of the manager. Um, so, you know, we will wait and see. But but I think on the face of it, that's that's a good deal um, for Leeds. Uh, I think Leicester have signed uh, Admin Lukman on on loan, who I thought had a really good loan spell at Fulham last year. I thought he was was. Fulham's best player uh, last season. So again, he's, he's versatile. He can play a couple of positions in that in that forward area. I think that's a that's a good deal for Leicester. Um, and the one that I really like uh, is is Edouard from from Celtic to Crystal Palace. I think they paid fourteen million for him. And if they can get his best Celtic form in the Premier League, he'll score goals. 
Um, I think he's got something about him. He's very, very sharp. Uh, like those little quick movements in and around penalty areas and between defenders, he's very, very good. Um, and I think he'll get goals. So I think that's a really good deal for Crystal Palace. I'm surprised they've managed to get him so cheaply. Um, to be honest, if that was the asking price, I, I'd have been interested in taking him at Arsenal. Um, and apparently Palace's first choice was, was Eddie Nketiah, and they only went to Edward after that fell through. I don't know what football they've been watching over there at Salah's Park, but it's not the same football as me, put it that way. So, yeah, I, I think I think that's a really good deal. And if, you know, I'm, he, he may completely flop and I'll look stupid, but if he brings anything like his Celtic form, I think it's a massive signing for Palace. Um, and then, you know, uh, you touched on Arsenal beforehand. They, they've, they've done more loans than that West this week, I think. I think... Um, <laughs> Uh, Reith Nelson's gone out on loan to, to a club in the, in the Netherlands. Um, I think it's Feyenoord, but I'd have to double check. Uh, we've loaned um, Hector Bellerin, has, has gone on loan to Real Betis. Runarsson, the goalkeeper we signed last summer, has gone on loan to, to, I don't know, a Belgian non-league team or something, which is about his level. Um, we haven't loaned out Ainsley Maitland-Niles. He is now staying at Arsenal apparently, and we've signed a right-back whose name I'm not going to try and pronounce uh, from Bologna. And Spurs have signed a, a defender from Barcelona as well. I mean, Spurs have signed Emerson, Emerson yeah. who's a right-back. I think he's been at Barca for a few years, but I don't think he's ever really played for them. I think he's one of these, they brought him over from Brazil and then loaned him out a million times. Yeah. And I think he's been on loan at Betis, and Betis were hoping to get him back, and then Spurs came along and bought him, and so Betis have signed Bellerin on loan. I think that's sort of the way that particular roundabout has worked. Right, right. Yeah, I was I was surprised to see Bellerin going on loan. That seemed a bit weird. I thought if he's not part of Arteta's plans, surely just sell him. Uh... Well, I think that was the, the. I mean, Arsenal have been not only bad at buying, but they've been bad at selling. They they were trying to sell him earlier in the summer, and I think there was an offer on the table from Inter Milan um, for about ten million quid. Uh, and Arsenal didn't think it was enough and turned it down and then have spent another sort of four or five weeks trying to get more money and ended up having to loan him out. Um, frustration, I think, on that for Arsenal is they seriously considered selling him last summer when PSG were interested at about £24 million and they ummed and awed about whether they thought they had enough cover. They didn't think they could get some. We had the shorter summer, if you remember, because the previous season rolled on. They didn't think they'd got time to get a replacement in. They weren't sure about going with Cedric. Um, and so they held on to Bellerin, thinking one more year. And I think it was probably, in hindsight, a wrong decision. They could have got away for a year with Maitland-Niles or Cedric or Chambers or some combination thereof playing at right-back. Um and pocketed the Bellerin money, and then maybe they could have gone and addressed that position this summer, uh, which, as I say, they have today. But I'll, I'll be honest, I know nothing about this Japanese kid they've signed. So um, whether he's any good or not, watch the space. Mm. Yeah, they do seem to like a, a, a Japanese player in Syria, don't they? They always seem to have a few uh, a few players there. So, yeah, but again... Yeah, well, I, I know nothing about him either, so we'll... Well, well the Arsenal Twitter has gone mad because there's a clip of Ronaldo trying to take him on last season and him stepping across and dispossessing Ronaldo and then clearing the ball. So obviously he's going to be world-class <laughs> based on that one six-second clip. Well, fair enough. I mean, that's how that's how uh, things get decided these days, Paul, isn't it? You know, if the, in- the internet says it's true, it, uh, or if YouTube <laughs> says it's true, it must be. The, the one that's happened that, that, that I don't know if it's happening or not is is Saul Niguez from from Atletico to Chelsea. Um, that's been sort of reported, but then it seems to have gone quiet. I don't know whether that's going to happen or not going to happen. I've no idea, but um, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, that they're willing to let him go. To be honest, mm. yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of you know other other deals the one player we spoke about the other week um was was Lingard um yeah you know and 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 that doesn't seem to be you know you think maybe with whether it's because James has gone I don't know but you know you'd think if we're willing to let him go maybe we'd also take get have options there sort of you know try and get get West Ham back and do a deal for you know 20 million or whatever it was 
They were, they were talking well, earlier I, in the summer, but I, th- I think it's dead, isn't it? Because West Ham have signed Nikola Vlasic instead from mm. CSKA Moscow, and he's a similar uh, the Croatian boy. He's a similar type yeah. of player. Um, he's going to play in one of those kind of wide areas in a four-two-three-one, but he can go and play as a number ten if you need him to. Um, could play in a three in midfield even. So he, he's a similar type, I think, to to Lingard. And when I saw that West Ham had done that deal yesterday, my assumption, and it looks correct, was that the Lingard deal was dead. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I think also, I suppose they've 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 obviously had a good start. Maybe they've decided, yeah, not not as much of a priority, um, given that they've sort of managed to you know carry on the form without him, perhaps. Um, Lingard's back in the England squad. I mean, I know we're not really talking about international football. I thought it was interesting. He's back in the England squad. And you're thinking, well, you know, you're not going to stay in the England squad, Jesse, if you're not playing for, for Man United. And we've just talked about Manchester United's options. And <laughs> we didn't even mention so, it. <laughs> and we didn't we didn't even throw his name in the mix. So, you no. know, I, I, I wonder how he's feeling about it. And I, I, I said before, he doesn't strike me as a kind of boy who just wants to sit on the bench. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we get to January and he goes out on loan again somewhere. Mm, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, cool. Okay. Well, I think uh, that's probably a good a good roundup of the. Uh, you know, we've done our best Jim White impression there. I think um, carrying on the uh, the tradition. Um, so I think that just wanted to look at. We've talked a lot, you know, tonight about uh, you know how the Premier League's sitting so far. Um, I know you're a big fan of the Championship. Um, do you want to give you sort of roundup of uh, you know that this weekend and and who's you know again who's sort of made a a good start in the in championship and the football league um, and who you who you worried about? Yeah, I, I think the, the the team that really have stood out to me this weekend um, in the championship particularly was was Huddersfield who beat Reading four 0 um, It's a really good result, and and suddenly I look at the table and and. Again, it's very early days. It's five games as opposed to three in the Premier League, but it's still very early days. But there are Huddersfield sitting in fourth place. And I, I, I know very little about their manager, um, Carlos uh, Corberan, who um, replaced uh, Danny Cowley at the end of last season. He had been on Bielsa's coaching staff at Leeds beforehand. I know very, very little about him. But clearly, that's a good start. So I don't think most people had Huddersfield in the promotion mix. Um, and so to be sitting in the top six after five games, three wins from five, I think I think they'll be delighted with the start they've had. And at the other end of the table, conversely, we've already uh, confessed last week that I tipped Forest to do quite well, and they they got their first point at the weekend. So all is not lost. Um, they drew with with Derby in the in the East uh, East Mids Derby, um, but. Sheffield United have played five no wins. We talked about them earlier needing to take a while to get a win in the Premier League last year. Um, they want to be careful. They don't take a while to get a win in league in the Championship this year or else they'll find themselves in League One next year. Um, I think there is a bit of a question with Sheffield United about whether the the way it's going, they look like one of those teams who might do the double dip um, very early. Not panicking, yeah. But you'd be a bit worried, wouldn't you, if you're Sheffield United fan? Yeah, the the the, the Amazon documentary crews will be uh, packing the Range Rover and getting <laughs> getting down there. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it would. And and talking of uh, the Amazon crews, I mean, it was Netflix, wasn't it? Not Amazon. If you'd been to League One, Sunderland have won four of their first five and a top of the league. Now, eventually, Sunderland will get out of League One. They will, I promise you. <laughs> just because they're too big a club to languish in that league for too long. Um, and, and they will eventually get themselves promoted. Uh, maybe this is the year. Um, they've had a really, really good start. Played five, won four, lost one. Um, he, he, I, I think, obviously, Newcastle fans and Middlesbrough fans might not think this, but I think you'd have to be a bit cold-hearted uh, as a football fan not to not to feel a bit of sympathy for the Sunderland fans with what they've been through the last few years. 
um, from being an established Premier League club to essentially being a laughing stock for a couple of seasons. Yeah. Who, you know, were changing managers like most people change their socks and just never quite clicking and getting to finals, whether that playoff finals or football league trophy finals and losing them and getting back there and losing again. I mean, it's just been one thing after another. And I think if this is finally the season when, when they can get themselves out of the, of the, um, of League One and back into the Championship, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who's genuinely going to resent them for that. Uh, I think, just interestingly, on the way they approached this summer, I think they did it a little bit differently in the sense that they maybe didn't splurge money on names like they have in the past. I will see name the Will Grigg and people like that. Went <laughs> who was and, not went on to... fire by that point. Yeah, who was not on fire. <laughs> they went and got those sort of people. and Yeah. And maybe went for kind of names to sort of fire themselves out of out of League One. This year, maybe they've just done it a little bit differently and, and been a bit quieter in the way they've gone about the business. And uh, you know, the, the centre forward who's who had a you know mixed end to last season, and then there's had a really good start. Uh, Ross Stewart came from Ross County, so that's not like going and paying a million pound for Will Grigg. Uh, that's much more of a kind of under the radar signing, if you like, he's not a huge name, um, and, and I just wonder if that approach might suit suit Sunderland a little bit better. Um, yeah, and maybe they've got some younger, hungrier players who haven't proven it yet, and 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 that might be helping them out. Again, early days, but I think it's noteworthy that Sunderland have had a really good start. Um, at the other end of the table, I talked about them last week. Ipswich are still without a win. Like you're Ipswich Town. You're in League One. <laughs> you've played five games and you've and you've not won a game. I, it just, yeah. I, I don't know what's going on at Ipswich. And Paul Cook's a good manager. He's been around that league a long time with Accrington and um, uh, with Portsmouth. You know, Paul Cook knows that division. He's no mug, and and they are really really struggling. So. Again, I, if, if I was a Nipswich fan at the moment, I think I'd be a little bit nervous about the way things are going. Um, yeah, that's, that's... I, I would I would say to them, stick with Paul Cook because he's a good manager. He knows that league. He'll find a way to get it right. But they need to start winning some football matches really, really soon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's worrying. Again, there are another of those big sides, you know, I think we mentioned it the other week, you know, not so long ago, they were, you know, in the Premier League, well, maybe maybe it was a few years ago now, but, you know, to us <laughs> at least. <laughs> to yeah, us. I mean, I mean, mean to the, you know, to people our age, the age me, you and Dan, or we can remember like, sort of our university years and whatever, Ipswich were regularly in, in the Premier League around that era, and, yeah, you know, we were a, a decent side, played attractive football, and had a couple of decent seasons in the Premier League, and yeah, they're a million miles away at the moment. Mm. Um, so I, it's worrying times for them. I think in, in League Two, um, the Vale went and beat Forest Green uh, away from home. Forest Green were top, 100% record, and then they lost 2-0 to the Vale, which destroyed my accumulator, if nothing else, Con. <laughs> um, so that was the the result that, that attracted my attention the most in, the, in League Two. I think the only other thing to say is Sutton United, who, it was a miracle for them to get up last season out of the conference. Um, they've still not won a game yet. You just want to see them get a win under their belt soon because they're going to be in a long, hard slog all season to stay in the Football League. But no one wants to see Sutton get kind of cast horribly adrift and it get really, really ugly for them. You'd like to see them at least stay in touch and, and, and put up a fight. They probably will get relegated because they shouldn't really be in the Football League in the first place, you know, resource-wise and everything else. Um, but you, you don't want it to get dispiriting and embarrassing for them because they don't deserve that after the season they had last year. Yeah, no, that's... That's fair enough, um, but no, I think that's a good a good round up. Um, unless you've you've anything else you want to you want to chip in, or we can we can sort of move on. Yeah, no, nothing else from the football league, Connor. I think the only other the, other, the first Glasgow derby of the season wasn't it on Sunday, uh, and Rangers won one nil. Um, which, if you're a Rangers fan, you go great. We're still beating Celtic. But I think if you're a Celtic fan, you go, well, we let four goals in both times. We, we went to Rangers last year. This is a bit of an improvement. Um, I think 
we might have a, a title battle in Scotland this year. We haven't the last few years because Celtic ran away with it for a number of years, and then last year Rangers yeah. obviously it's went been unbeaten and ran one away extreme with it. or the other, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think the teams are probably a little bit closer together than they they've been for a few years. Um, so you know, I don't watch a huge amount of Scottish football, but. Uh, if those Glasgow Dobbies later in the season are played at a time when the league's really tight, then then they are must-watch TV. So, uh, it just just one result, I think, worth just remarking on this this weekend. Yeah, no, no, that's fair enough. Um, well, what what we can perhaps do, given Dan isn't with us, is we can maybe just cast our eye to the uh, upcoming um, qualifiers. You know, we have we do have the international break now. Now we're not big fans of non-tournament international football on this podcast. I have to get that disclaimer out. Um, otherwise, Dan will be banning me from uh, from hosting any of these again. But um, I mean, you know, they, they're not the most uh, inspiring fixtures on paper, Paul. But given you know, obviously the the performances in the Euros and so on, are you are you particularly excited about the games? Will you watch them? How do you think they'll go? I mean, you you'd back England, you'd think to win them um, on paper. But any sort of anything you're looking out for in those games? Well, I think um, I think in fairness, the Two of these, look, it's, it's a World Cup qualifying group that England should get through relatively comfortably. Let, let's put that on record, first of all. But when you look at the, the three games that they've got coming up in this break, they include a way to Hungary and a way to Poland, which you would probably say are the two toughest games in England's group, um, Hungary away and, and Poland away. So... Uh, to the extent that you can look forward to international qualifiers, I think this is probably one of the better uh, international breaks that, that England have. They've got Andorra at home in the middle of those two games. Well, we know they'll thrash Andorra about 17-0, so, so we don't need to worry about yeah. that too <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. we saw in the, in the summer that Hungary are not, not a team to be trifled with. They gave Germany that almighty fright on the last round of group games, didn't they, in the... Yeah. Um, in the in the Euros, and then obviously England played a played a pretty tight game against Germany in the next round. So they are not to be taken lightly. And Poland, while they kind of flatter to deceive every time they reach a tournament, they've got a pretty good recent record at getting there. So I think there will be two um, two watchable games in in that uh, in that group of fixtures where we will be able to start to look at how England develop from what was obviously a very successful, um, if ultimately heart-wrenching summer, uh, towards towards the World Cup in, in, well, just over a year's time now, isn't it? About 15 months' time. Um, I think those two fixtures are probably the two most watchable of the whole group for England. So uh, if you're not doing anything on the, on the second and the eighth, then, uh, yeah, turn your tally on. England will be playing. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a fair shout, particularly with, with Hungary. You know, they gave... Uh, you know, they gave uh a really good account of themselves in that in the, the you know the group of death actually lived up to its billing uh, for once mm. so uh yeah i think away away there does you know if there is a potential banana skin um yeah. in there uh, with it being the first game as well that that could be one so yeah probably would be the the pick of them um, yeah i think so and it'd be interesting to see what sort of side southgate goes with you know to what extent is he is he just going to say okay that was my euros team um off you go and, and it'd be Walker and I don't know if Stones is even fit. I don't think Stones is in the squad, is he? So there's a question mark straight away there at centre-half because I think Tyrone Mings missed Villa's game mm. at the yeah, weekend as did. well, if I'm right. So he's got a question straight away about who plays with Maguire at centre-half. Um, you know, Ben White's obviously was in the squad in the summer. He's not been, been fit. He's had COVID. So he, he does have a question mark to, to resolve there at centre-half. Um you know, will he go with the same sort of balance in midfield that he went with in the summer? Does Jack Grealish get in the starting lineup now that he plays for Manchester City and not Aston Villa? Um, interesting question that I think people will be keeping an eye on. Obviously, Foden, I think, still injured anyway. So, yeah. so he's not an option. Saka's only played a, a couple of games since he's been back. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting. Harry Kane, how, how fit really, you know, how fully match fit is Harry Kane at this stage? There's... There's a few question marks there about exactly what Gareth does with the lineup, and it'd be really mm. interesting to watch because we do have at the moment a group of players, I think, 
even that sits just below the group that went to the Euros. And I'm thinking the likes of, you know, Mason Greenwood, Patrick Bamford, who's in the squad this time. Um, I'm thinking Emil Smith-Rowe, who's probably been the one Arsenal player not to look completely hopeless uh, so far this season. You know, we, we have a group of players now in in the Premier League, English qualified footballers, who aren't good enough to get in the in the 26, 27-man squad, which shows how much strength and depth we've got compared to, you go back five, six years, Colin, if you could kick a ball straight, you were in. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Benson and Hedges were waiting by the phone. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's a, you know particularly around the, the forward players. I mean, again, you know, Sancho, now he's a United player. Does that push him further up the queue? He didn't get yeah. much game time in yeah. the Euros. Um, is not is now a chance for, for Gareth to have a, have a look at him? Um, so yeah, you're right. There's uh, and he's you know he's obviously got the the three games you'd expect him to shuffle the lineup um, a bit for each one. So maybe maybe each of the all those players you've mentioned at least get a start. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's probably what we'd want to see really to see what you know how they how they take that opportunity. Because there any any closing thoughts or comments from you, Paul? Otherwise we can look to to wrap up. No, I uh, I hope Dan's got all his boxes in a row for his big house move, and, uh, and that's <laughs> all that needs to be said. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. I think the only thing I will add, as usual, we are on uh, Podbean, uh, iTunes, Amazon Music and and Spotify. So have a listen, share, and uh, we will see you all uh, very shortly. Thank you.